Good morning, everybody. Well, we're going to turn now to our call to worship. And this morning, we're reading from a couple different psalms. Um, So hear these words from Psalm 100 and Psalm 34. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And will you pray with me this morning? God, you are all to us. You are everything we need, all that we long for, everything we can't even imagine. God, I pray this morning that as we sit here, as your people together, Lord, um, that you would meet us. That we would see your face and recognize that you are all we need. God, I pray this morning, um, no matter what we bring with us to the table, whether it's deep disappointment, anger, or fear about the things happening in our world or in our lives, whether it's a resounding joy, great gladness over events that have happened or just reflection on the goodness that you have brought us, Lord. I pray that we would come before you, Lord, with an open heart to see you and to hear the word that you have for us. God, this morning, I pray that as we worship together, as we hear um, scripture from your word, God, I just pray that you would bind our hearts together, that you would knit us together as one people, Lord, who are all seeking after your face, seeking to know you in a deeper and truer way, Lord, that as you do that, as you uh, join us together, as you uh, make our hearts um, open to the neighbor sitting next to us or who's across the street from us, God, I pray that we would be able to go out into your world, Lord, and bring all you are there. God, I pray that as we um, walk from this place this morning, that we would see the work that you're doing and everything that's happening in our lives, Lord, and that we would join you there. That we would know it's not all up to us, but that the saving grace of your son has done, has done the work for us. So God, I pray this morning that you would encourage our hearts, that you would bring us great joy together. I pray that you would be with Eugene as he brings your word to us, um, and that we would walk away feeling encouraged that we are not alone, but that you are with us, and that you give us people alongside us. Um, And may we see some of those in this room this morning. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In your name, amen. 
Um, as we turn to our scripture reading, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. Um, second service, we're ded- dedicating Everett Kane, Christine and Ryan's little boy. So that'll be on the live stream. We invite you to watch it there um, so you can see that. Um, but he's not here with us this morning, so we can't dedicate him for service. Um, but I do want to remind us all that um, I'm going to read a scripture in just a minute from Psalm 78, and it talks about the different generations um, and passing on what we know from God to the, to the next generation, to our descendants. And um, I just want, as we are here, as we don't have kids or students with us, to remind us that we um, all have a part to play in this body. Uh, we all have something to give to one another and to the generations that are coming after us. And so as you sit here this morning, as we talk about different announcements like Shape and Race, and Christine did a Need for Teachers a couple weeks ago, um, I would just encourage you to think about um, how God is calling you to be a part of this body. Whether it's um, with peers your age or whether it's to a different generation. Um, I will say this, our students and our kids, um, those who are maybe younger than you or in a different life stage from you, they need the gifts that you have. They need the life experience that you bring and they need to hear the story of the work that God has done in your life. Um, And I think you need it from them as well. I think we each have something Um, to teach and to give to one another as the full body of Christ together. So with that in mind, hear these words from Psalm 78. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I pray that would be true for each of us this morning. I'm going to invite Eugene up to share with us. Thank you for that encouragement and reminder, Becca. Um, As we get started today, I would just like to invite you all to take another moment to acknowledge one another here in this room. You may do so silently, with a smile, or maybe a a brief greeting. Just turn to your neighbor, the people in front of you, behind you. Make eye contact with two or three others. (laughs) Yes. I just want you to take in the reality of this person that you've made eye contact with or the people around you and just remember that we are a community of individuals who are forgiven and loved by God. Amen? Amen. Our purpose in gathering each Sunday is to recenter ourselves on God, to set our minds on Christ and to reorient ourselves around Him. But sometimes, as we look at Him and He looks at us, He turns us to face each other because he wants us to be one even as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. 
We'll have another chance to go deeper with that truth in a time of body life after our sermon. So let's get right into our study of the word for today. In last week's verses, Paul commanded the Colossian believers to put on a new set of practices in place of the ones that had previously characterized their lives. In place of lust, violence, and pride, they were to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These characteristics are beautiful as they are, to be sure, but they find their clearest, fullest expression in forgiveness. Indeed, this is how Christ showed his compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience to the Colossian believers. He died for them so that the debt incurred by their sin could be forgiven. In love, he forgave the Colossian believers, and now, Paul explained, it was their turn to show one another the same love. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Just as the love of God moved Christ to forgiveness, uh, so the love of Christ compels his people to show compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience in forgiving others. Such forgiveness not only reflects the grace and mercy they have received, but it also frees them from endless cycles of vengeance. Instead of being carried away by the adversarial current, the forgiving forgiven, the loving beloved, can chart a new course, head in a new direction. They can create something new, something good, beautiful, and necessary in this world. And we took some time last Sunday to imagine what that would look like. And hopefully you've spent the days since then taking a break to imagine it as well. We imagined what it would look like to be in a community characterized by compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, patience and forgiveness. We imagined how it would feel to be fully known and fully loved, to be encouraged and supported and gently challenged and guided in spiritual growth. And perhaps some words came to your mind whenever you imagined a community like this. I am curious, what are the words? What are some words that came to mind when you imagined this? Does anyone have enough courage right now to shout it out? Hmm, I hear a lot of hmms. Yeah, yeah, I take that as a soulful hmm. That would be good. Yeah, hmm. (laughs) Well, I do know one word that came to the Apostle Paul's mind, and that is the word peace. When he envisioned a community of believers practicing compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, a community of believers bearing with one another and forgiving each other, matured in and defined by love, the word that came to his mind was peace. How do I know? Because that's the very next thing Paul turned to in Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. By way of command, Paul made clear that the community of believers should be a place where the peace of Christ rules. What does this mean? Well, the Greek word for peace used here is irene. This word typically describes a a state of tranquility and serenity that is free of disturbance or anxiety. It often corresponds to the Hebrew concept of shalom. But as in English, the Greek word for peace can also describe relational harmony and agreement, where discord and division have been overcome and unity established. Taken this way, the peace of Christ could refer to the relational unity Christ brings about in the community of believers. 
It is this communal, relational sense of the word that was at the forefront of Paul's mind in this verse. And this is confirmed by the verb that is attached to the phrase, the peace of Christ. The Colossian believers were to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. The Greek word translated here as rule is brabueto. This word occurs only once in the Bible, but it was used outside the Bible to describe judges overseeing public games and awarding prizes to competitors. So while it could be translated as rule, perhaps it would be better translated as govern or arbitrate between. So it would read something like, and let the peace of Christ govern and arbitrate between your hearts. The Colossian believers' differences and disagreements were to be subordinated to the unity of the church. They were to allow the unity of the church to be bigger than the things that divided them. Paul envisioned the Colossian believers committing themselves to the pursuit of relational peace and allowing that commitment to govern their relationships with one another, even arbitrating between them in times of conflict. And Paul reminded them that it was to this peace expressed in unity that they had been called ever since they became Christians. The peace of Christ to which indeed you were called in one body. When the Colossians accepted the call to believe in Christ, they received the Holy Spirit into their hearts and became spiritually connected to Christ. But the oneness of the Holy Spirit and the oneness of Christ mean that the Colossian believers also became spiritually connected to one another. Paul envisioned this interconnectedness as parts coming together to form a body united by the Holy Spirit and whose head is Christ. And just as the various parts of the human body work together to preserve their unity, which we experience as physical health, so the members of the one body of Christ are called to unity with one another. Paul's command to the Colossian believers in verse 15 was simply a reiteration of this calling, which they had implicitly received as soon as they had joined the one body of Christ. Of course, this calling was not exclusive to the Colossian believers. Every believer in Christ is a member of the one body of Christ and receives the same calling to unity. Indeed, Paul issued the same call to the Ephesian believers, even using nearly identical language as he did with the Colossians. I urge you, he wrote, to, the, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you had been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, sound familiar? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Greek word for bond here refers to the ligaments and tendons that bind muscles and bones to one another. Paul depicted peace as the tough, fibrous, connective tissue that holds the one body of Christ together. And the Ephesian believers, just like the Colossian believers, were called to maintain this bond, to exercise it so that it would grow in strength and resilience. The same call for unity is implied in Paul's letter to the Romans, where he affirmed to, the to a congregation split along ethnic lines that their unity in Christ must not be denied or downplayed. For as in one body, he wrote, we have many members so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I love that turn of phrase, individually members one of another. 
We belong to each other. Each member of Christ's one body belongs to all the others and vice versa. They have a responsibility to one another, a calling to maintain their bond to each other, not to be quick to allow that to come apart, to be split, to be severed, to be broken. Paul addressed the issue of disunity among the Corinthian believers as well. It was the very first topic he addressed in his first letter to them. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Later in the same letter, he would remind the Corinthian believers that for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit." Unity in Christ was one of Paul's most urgent concerns for the churches of the first century. He longed for the people of God, wherever they lived, to manifest practically what was true of them spiritually. But how were they to do this? Unity doesn't come easily. Looking at our own congregation, with all its diversity across ethnicity and age and education, profession, life stage, politics, interests and experience, here at PBCC, unity can feel like a tall order. And it is a tall order. So tall that many end up settling for counterfeit unity instead. Instead of genuine unity that they settle for conflict avoidance. Peace is the absence of conflict, isn't it? So if I don't allow a fight to begin, that means we're unified, aren't we? If I keep conversations light and breezy, if I have my exit strategies at the ready, if I remain non-committal and politely disengaged, no one will be offended and disagreements won't disturb our peace. Another way to counterfeit unity is through behavioral conformity. Peace means everyone getting along, right? So if I meet the unspoken and spoken expectations of the majority of the people in this community, then that means we should be pretty well unified, right? If I talk like the rest, look like the rest, act like the rest, and if I apply subtle pressure, subtle, to others to do the same, we'll all be the same, and differences won't disturb our peace. Unity can be counterfeited. I'm sure we've tasted that before. Peace can be faked. But Paul wanted more for the Colossian believers, for all believers, wherever and whenever they lived. He wanted more than mere conflict avoidance. He wanted more than cult-like conformity. Paul envisioned a community of believers who created space for one another, who embraced one another in empathy, who served one another with zeal, who were gentle and gracious towards one another in word and in action and in touch, a community of individuals who are unafraid of one another, unafraid of one another's sins, unafraid of their own sins, because the perfect love of Christ had forgiven them and brought them together as God's chosen, holy, and beloved people. So how were the Colossian believers to become this kind of community? How is any group of believers supposed to do this? It turns out 
It's the same way that we become a forgiving people. The forgiving love of Christ empowers us to forgive others, but it doesn't end with forgiveness. Once forgiveness is accomplished, the heart that has grown in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, it doesn't shriek back to what it was before. No, the heart that is willing to forgive is also willing to listen. The heart that is willing to forgive is also willing to empathize. It is also willing to humbly make room for others, to meekly listen and learn and enter into their stories, to take the time to understand those around them, to be patient with them, to withhold criticism and condemnation. On the other hand, the heart that is willing to forgive is unwilling to judge others by their appearances or by their backgrounds. It is unwilling to jump to conclusions about a demographic or a group of people. It is unwilling to allow a disagreement to end a relationship or a difference of opinion to sever a friendship or a point of conflict to devolve into irreparable division. The heart that is willing to forgive is unwilling to allow anything smaller than the love of Christ to separate God's chosen, holy, beloved, forgiven people from one another. You see, brothers and sisters, forgiveness, when it is fully grown, becomes no longer about particular sins themselves, but about the whole of a person's being, their whole humanity. It is no longer merely responsive to sins that have been committed against it, but it reaches out in hospitality and affection even to the enemy and the stranger. Full-grown forgiveness welcomes the whole humanity of everyone, regardless of their sin, regardless of the disagreements that are bound to arise. Full-grown forgiveness preemptively loves others before it has to make a decision about their sin, about their politics, about their opinions, about how old they are, about how they act, It has made the commitment to love before it cares about any of those things. It is all ready to commit it to love as its starting point. And when the love of Christ is a community's starting point, relational peace is the result. Love expressed in forgiveness leads to peace expressed in unity. When sin is defanged by grace, there is nothing left that can divide us. I believe that this is what Paul envisioned when he thought of the church, the one body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as members of the body of Christ, the one body of Christ, let us pursue this unity together. Unity across a diversity might seem like a tall order, but let's allow the peace of Christ to be bigger than us, to govern us and arbitrate between us, to lift us higher than the walls that divide us, to widen our arms to embrace one another despite our differences, and to deepen our willingness to love and to forgive and to create space for each other. Paul compared this peace of Christ to a ligament, to a tendon. It is tough and fibrous, but it doesn't stay that way on its own. Peace must be exercised. Unity must be stretched. They must be challenged and used and practiced for them to grow stronger and thicker and tougher. It's hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. But thankfully, we have a truth that empowers us beyond our weakness. 
the truth of the love of Christ, who stretched to cover all of us. So let us exercise unity, not settling for a shallow peace, for a mere cessation of hostilities that papers over disagreements. Let us exercise our willingness to listen to others, to take the time to understand them, to enter into their experiences over our objections, to see it with their eyes, to feel their hurts, to share their joys. Let us exercise our peace, not settling for arm's length relationships that never go beyond the smile and the handshake. Let us exercise our empathy and allow one another into our lives in vulnerability and in honesty. You know, when I was a young, younger pastor, I'm still quite a child, um, but when I was a younger pastor, I used to spend every Sunday afternoon going to a website called Post Secret. This is a website operated by, a, well, not, not a young man anymore, but a guy who opened up an invitation to everybody to send in custom-made postcards confessing some kind of secret. This man wasn't a believer, and neither were most of the people who sent in their secrets, but many responded. These anonymous confessions of things that people had done, how they had felt about their situations, what was going on in their lives. And I would read through the weekly batch of postcards that were sent in, and I would challenge myself can I put myself in a situation where I would write a similar confession? Can I imagine a circumstance where I would have put together that postcard? And some of these postcards were grievous sins. Some of these confessions were very, very dark. And I found that at the end of my little session that I was able to empathize with each one of them because I saw the same darkness in me. I saw the same brokenness in me. I saw the same root of sin in me that could turn into what they had confessed. And I found that that widened my heart in a way that I didn't expect to. At first it was just a curiosity, but then it became a habit. And I felt that through that, God was starting to grow in me a sense of empathy that wasn't there before. Now I still have a lot of room to grow, but I wonder how often do we allow ourselves to be confronted with the brokenness and needs as well as the joys and celebrations of those who are not like us? Because when we do, we grow that muscle, we grow that ligament, we toughen that tendon and become a people of unity and peace. Well, brothers and sisters, there was one phrase I left out of this week's sermon, and that was a closing phrase of verse 15. There's one more command, it says, and be thankful. We'll be going into that a little bit more next week, but I wanted to say to you that I'm very grateful and thankful to be part of this family. And I hope that as you leave from this place, you feel a gratitude for what Christ has done for you to bring you into his family. But receive now this word of benediction. As you go from this place, may you know the welcome of the Holy Spirit. May you know the space that Christ has made for you in his grace and his family. And may you share, may you share that kindness, that humility, that meekness, that patience, that compassion with those around you and especially with your brothers and sisters in the household of God. God bless you, be well.